Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. Welcome back. You know, I used to have a lot more fun doing 53 man roster projections. I got to be honest. Now, granted, none of you heard them because that was long before the bills were actually a good team. But when I would sit down and I think to myself, okay, I wonder who's going to make the team. And it was in the middle of the drought. The sun was high in the air. You could feel the parchness on your tongue. There was no end in sight. No matter where you looked, you were lost in the middle of the desert. I have taken this drought metaphor out far too long. At that point, 53-man roster projections were really interesting. Because you had no idea what the team was going to do. Quite frankly, You didn't even know if the offensive coordinator was going to be the same when the games started. Nice little Turk Schonert joke there for you. But as the team has gotten better, as the talent has gotten better, what has happened is the 53-man roster projections have gotten to be a little more predictable. And you find yourself arguing in your own mind or with someone else at the bar or with a content creator or on the internet because that's always helpful. It finds you arguing about two spots instead of nine spots. And so we're going to go through a 53-man roster projection today. And then we've got a couple emails I want to touch base on. But as I go through, I am going to specifically highlight the areas, few as they may be, where I went back and forth on what it was I thought the team might do. Because I don't think there's going to be a lot of them. But we're going to take the opportunity to go through them, however small they may be, however few the points of contention may be, we're still going to do it. Let's start with quarterback two, Josh Allen, Case Keenum. I think it's very reasonable that Matt Barkley would end up on the practice squad. I don't see why they would carry three. Historically, they've carried two. I don't see a reason why that would be different this year. Running back, Singletary, Cook, Moss, Jones. I think Duke Johnson 
was a contingency plan if they didn't get a running back that they liked in the receiving game in the draft, much more so than he was a one-to-one fill-in for J.D. McKissick. I think if they would have had the J.D. McKissick deal go through, they probably wouldn't have drafted James Cook at that point. But Duke Johnson, I don't think, was a one-to-one replacement for that. So the same level of roster security that you were going to get from J.D. McKissick, I don't think you're getting from Duke Johnson. In addition, this is a very interesting phenomenon because if Jones is your fourth running back and he's a gunner, Zach Moss ends up being inactive on game day. You kept him around because you believe in your draft picks and you want them to do well. But he ends up being inactive on game day. It goes Singletary, Cook, Jones. So I think there's a fascinating kind of idea to play there because I don't think the Bills will activate four running backs every game. But that's the point of contention with the running back room. I don't think it's who's going to make the roster because I think these four are pretty solid. I think the better question is, do they activate four running backs on game day? I don't think they should, but do they activate four running backs on game day? Because that's far of a bigger question, in my opinion, than who's going to make the team. Because I don't think Duke Johnson is going to make it over Zach Moss, barring injury. Wide receiver, six. Diggs, Davis, Crowder, Shakir, Kumaro, McKenzie. End of the line for Isaiah Hodgins. End of the line for Marquez Stevenson. I think... Khalil Shakir in the fifth round is not an equitable pick with Marquez Stevenson in the fifth round. I think the expectations are higher for Shakir. I think he's a higher caliber of player. And I think he immediately slots in to a better spot on the depth chart than Marquez Stevenson did when he came in last year. I think there's an opportunity for Stevenson when it came to punt returning. I think there's an opportunity this year when it comes to kick returning. But ultimately, unless the Buffalo Bills decide to keep seven, I mean, Kumaro plays teams. Marquez Stevenson's not a gunner. You're already having scenarios where you wonder if Khalil Shakir could potentially bump Isaiah McKenzie off of the game day active list. And if he can do the things that Isaiah McKenzie can do on offense and also potentially give you returnability, is a scenario where Isaiah McKenzie ends up not being someone who makes the active game day roster. But again, every year I say they should keep seven, every year they end up keeping six, I'm sticking with six. So the big point for running backs was who's active on game day. It's the same question with wide receivers. And it's almost the same reasoning. Kumaro plays teams. Taiwan Jones plays teams. So they're going to be in there as far as gunners go. Kickoff coverage, punt coverage. So McKenzie being game day active or not could entirely depend on Khalil Shakir. And if he comes out this summer and struggles to adjust, then he's going to be the odd man out when it comes to game day actives. But I still think he makes the roster. Tight end. Knox, Howard, Sweeney, three. I think... There is a question here at the bottom of this. Sweeney, Jalen Weidermeyer, because 
it's not like the third tight end is not an open competition. It's not like Tommy Sweeney has done significantly meaningful things in his time here that makes you think that he's a lock for those three. Now, I have him projected here, but it gave me some pause. I did think about it. And in a roster as talented as the Buffalo Bills, that is rare. It is rare for me to even go, I don't know. So running back, who's going to be game day active? Wide receiver, who's going to be game day active? Tight end, who's TE3? I have Tommy Sweeney, but I could be convinced if you had a third string tight end and you wanted it to be Jalen Weidermeyer, sure, it's the third string tight end. But I project it to be Tommy Sweeney. I think Tommy Sweeney's a better athlete. I think he's a better blocker. But it's not so significant that I think he's a lock. Offensive tackle, four. Deion Dawkins, Spencer Brown, David Questenberry, Tommy Doyle. I think this is pretty much cut and dry. I think that not having Daryl Williams on this roster to give you that flexibility means you you really, really have to have David Questenberry on this roster. I don't see a reason why you wouldn't, quite frankly. I think this is pretty, pretty chalk at this point. Interior offensive line. Roger Saffold, Mitch Morse, Ryan Bates, Cody Ford, Greg Mance. Why? Where's Ike Butker? Ike Butker's probably not going to be ready. He'd start the year on the pup. But, again, I don't think the Buffalo Bills are ready to give up on Cody Ford any more so than they're willing to give up on Zach Moss as the third running back. So, I really feel like, based on their comments this offseason, if you are thinking that Cody Ford is a camp body... I think you're going to be disappointed. If you're thinking that he's going to be bumped off the roster, I think you're going to be disappointed. I think they want to give him every opportunity to succeed, especially with a new offensive line coach coming in and Aaron Cromer. Defensive end, five. Von Miller, Gregory Rousseau, Boogie Basham, A.J. Epinesa, Shaq Lawson. Again, another fairly easy, breezy position group when it comes to this. Miller and Rousseau, first people up. Basham, probably at this point, ahead of A.J. Epinesa, who I think it's safe to say has been a disappointment through two years. After year one, the big narrative on A.J. Epinesa was, of course, hey, body composition, right? He remade his whole body. I get it. But then after he didn't take the step that we wanted him to take year two, it's a little bit harder to use that excuse. So for me, the big question when it comes to defensive end is, Basham or Epinesa? That's my big question. In what order are Basham, Epinesa, Lawson? Is Lawson DE5 or is Lawson DE3? Is Basham DE3 or is Basham DE4? Epinesa, DE4, DE5, DE3. I think the only meaningful question when it comes to defense events at this point with the information we have now is how do you order the final three players on the roster, Basham, Epinesa, Lawson. Now, ordering them isn't as important to the team as it is to us, but the reason that is is because of the heavy rotation. But one of those people, whoever DE5 is, you can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, DE5, is going to naturally end up with fewer snaps than the others. It's not going to be completely even, DE3, DE4, DE5. 
So it does matter a little bit. Now, it matters more to us because we like the rankings, but it does matter a little bit in practicality as well. Defensive tackle, four. Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips. I will level with you. There are moments I still forget that Jordan Phillips is back on this roster. I don't know if it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's also you. But there are moments I forget Jordan Phillips is on this roster. And I am very, very pleased at this defensive tackle group relative to the way it has been the last couple of years. I think Daquan Jones is a perfectly reasonable one-tech starter. I really like Tim Settle. And having Jordan Phillips as your fourth defensive tackle, who you can bring in rotation, bring energy in a limited snap role, is awesome. What a great role. And what a great spot for Jordan Phillips to be in. So for me, not a lot of questions on this position room. Linebacker, Milano, Edmonds, Bernard, Dodson, Smith, five. One of the biggest question marks for me in this entire roster is Smith or Matakevich. In this, I went with Smith over Matakevich because cutting Matakevich can save you $2.5 million. And also, Smith is just as reasonable on special teams, but also gives you something as a base linebacker. That's the reason why I went there. But you could talk me into Matakevich. I think the two linebackers behind Milano, Edmonds, Bernard, that matters. And you could talk me into almost any combination. I could see Smith-Matakevich. I could see Dodson-Smith. I could see Dodson-Matakevich. Any of those combinations you'd like to give me, I could make an argument for. In this case, I went with the combination that I felt gave the Buffalo Bills the best ability in base package from scrimmage. Because a lot of other places, I made accommodations for special teams. Specifically on running back, I kept Taiwan Jones. And wide receiver, I kept Jay Kumaro. So you don't always keep the special teams player. But Tyler Matakevich is a very, very specialized player. I feel like at this stage, maybe it's time. Maybe we can move on at that point. Cornerback. Trey White. Kair Elam. Dane Jackson. Taron Johnson. Saran Neal. Cam Lewis. I think that seventh round pick Christian Benford is absolutely a candidate for the practice squad. But this team likes Cam Lewis. And I do think that Tredavious White will be ready in enough time for you to not put him on the pup. Which is why he's here and Ike Butker is not because he's on the pup. Again, I'd really like the Buffalo Bills to keep seven receivers, seven corners. They're not going to. This is the way it works. Safety. Maybe the easiest position to project aside from quarterback. Hyde, Poyer, Hamlin, Jaquan Johnson. Unless something happens with Jordan Poyer that I don't know about, I will continue to project him to be a starting safety for the Buffalo Bills in 2022. The Bills didn't add any meaningful safeties in free agency or the draft, despite the fact that I was pounding the table for Verone McKinley. Kind of wanted that right there. Did an episode of Locked On Bills Joe Marino after the draft where I said, give me Verone McKinley. I want a safety. Nope, four. Hyde, Poyer, Hamlin, Johnson. 
Specialists, Ariza, Bass, Ferguson. Question with this, obviously, is, is Matt Ariza going to make you feel comfortable enough with holding to be the punter? It's withholding. It's kind of funny. I put it, you know, but with and holding together, it says withholding, but I'm actually talking about withholding. It's a whole grammar joke, but that's going to be the big question when it comes to punter. So I guess I go through this list. How many of these roster positions, how many of these roster rooms do I even have any questions about? Who's going to be TE3? How are you going to order the last couple of defensive ends? How are you going to order the last two linebackers? That's kind of a biggest question there. Whether or not Arise is going to be ready. As mentioned earlier, my main takeaway from doing this exercise is that it wasn't very much fun. And the fact that it wasn't very much fun is fun. That's my big takeaway from this 53-man roster projection. The fact that it wasn't very much fun, the fact that it wasn't very interesting for me to sit down and do is fun. Because really, really bad teams have really interesting 53-man roster projections. And that's the takeaway I want us to have from this podcast is that these are going to be boring and that's good. We should be excited that these are boring and that you have to really, really dig for questions. The fact that I had to really dig and I came away from this projection thinking that the biggest question mark for me was who are the final two linebackers going to be for this team and who's going to be tight end three and will the punter be a good enough holder? Those were my biggest questions for the 53-man roster. As you guys know, I am part of a Dynasty Fantasy Football League with a bunch of other Bills media and content creators. And I was kind of thinking about this as I was doing my 53-man roster projection. I was thinking to myself, gosh, how good of a team would it be if I could be worried about my fourth tight end spot? How good of a team do you have in Dynasty if you are constantly trying to upgrade your fifth running back? That means you have a good team. Because the priorities that you have have been lowered down the depth chart to such a significant degree that you're we're dealing with minute things in the grand scheme of things. For a lot of teams out there, their main concern is QB1. For us, it's TE3 as Bill's Mafia. It's LB4. It's Punter 1. Biggest question marks. So we are still going to go through this offseason, and we're still going to do the things that normal offseason content creation does. Because it's still worth talking about. It's still interesting to talk about these questions. What do we think about these position battles? We're still going to go through OTAs and digest all the information from that. But it's not going to be nearly as interesting as it would have been if the team was bad. And that's the weird thing about having a team that's relevant during the regular season is that the stuff becomes less relevant during the offseason. Do you remember when the draft was a Super Bowl? Why? Because you needed those draft picks to come in right off the street and be impact starters because your team wasn't good enough for anything else. Now, 
obviously this year, having Kair Elam come in and be an impact starter would be awesome. That'd be great. But if you don't, Dane Jackson was perfectly okay last year. It's not like the end of the world. We want to take a step forward. The presence of Kair Elam, if he's good, allows the defense to be more versatile and all that stuff's good. But there aren't glaring holes all over the roster. There's a reason why the Buffalo Bills are Super Bowl favorites. There's a reason why people think they're the most talented team in the league. And that plays itself out when you do a 53-man roster projection. You get done with it and you go, that was boring. But instead of saying, that was boring, you say this. That was boring. Because you're excited about the fact that it was boring. So we're still going to consume the content. We're still going to make the content. We're still going to talk about all the training camp stuff. But as we get into OTAs and mini camps and big break and then training camp, we're going to talk about a bunch of weird stuff in the break between OTAs and training camp. We're absolutely going to do that because we do it every year. Last year I did a musical. We're not going to do a, a musical sequel. At least that's not the plan right now. But the point is, it will be less enjoyable to discuss it because it's more enjoyable to be a fan of the team. And I think it's pretty cool. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We got a couple emails. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I lied. I mean, I didn't intend to lie, but I said something I believed to be true, and it turned out that it wasn't, so I guess that's not a lie. I was wrong, I think is the better thing, because I didn't intend to deceive, so I was wrong. We actually only have one email to get to, because the second email is actually a food for thought email that I will read when I am live with Nate Geary on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast channel on the YouTube channel, Friday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, got a nice little plug in there for the other show that we do. But I got sent a Buffalo Bills schedule breakdown from Evan Baxter. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to turn this 53-man roster projection pod that I did into a 53-man roster projection and Bruce picks the Bills. I'm going to pick against Evan Baxter, who just so you know, I have a feeling we'll pick the Bills to go undefeated. And I'll just quick run through and give you my initial thoughts. We'll probably do another schedule prediction. But Evan and I are going to go head-to-head on this. Week one, Evan says the Buffalo Bills come out and make the defending Super Bowl champions looking like an expansion team and shocks the world 38-3. to Week two, he says, the one where we learned King Henry wasn't rusty in the playoffs, the wheels just fell off. 31-14 with a garbage-time touchdown by Burks versus Buffalo's second string. Week 3 versus Miami. Dad is back, and Josh goes for six touchdowns, 42-17. Bills win over Miami. Week 4, Baltimore, 35-21, capped by Taron Johnson, once again returning a pick six, 100 yards. Week 5, Pittsburgh. So you know how Trubisky ran the scout team last year? The Bills D remembers all of his tendencies. His no-pick-six record is broken by Hyde and Poyer and Edmonds. 38-7 with Josh resting halfway into the fourth and Levi Wallace picking off Case Keenum for his own pick-six. Week 6, Kansas City. In the words of Justice 
Bean built a perfect killing machine to take out Mahomes and Hill. Mahomes and Sky Moore don't have the same punch. 41-24 Bills. Week 7 bye. Bills Mafia still thinks the whole country doubts Buffalo, despite most talking heads saying they could be one of the greatest teams ever. McDermott and Josh both say they have a lot to prove and a lot of mistakes to clean up. Keyshawn Johnson says Rodgers will expose them. Week 8, Green Bay. Josh took Keyshawn's comments personally, but says he ignores the media. 51-3, Buffalo Bills. Week 9, Jets. First half gets off to a slow start with Buffalo down 10-0. Second half, Josh goes nuclear with three touchdowns to Gabe Davis and one by James Cook off a three-yard checkdown that goes for 67 yards. Bills win 28-10. Week 10, Minnesota. Josh gets dinged up, bad enough to take him out of the second half. Down 21-17 with 15 seconds left to go in the fourth quarter. Case Keenum goes deep. Diggs, sideline, touchdown, incredible. Bills win 24-21. I see what you did there. Week 11, Cleveland. 49-0. Ed Oliver welcomes Watson to Buffalo again and again and again and again. With a career-high four sacks and becomes America's horse-riding sweetheart. Week 12, Detroit. Motor City Dan Campbell drags Buffalo into a Great Lakes brawl, and Josh Allen digs deep with two rushing touchdowns in the fourth quarter to win 28-24 on Thanksgiving Day. Detroit will later this season win a wild card game in Green Bay. Week 13, New England. Buffalo extends the no-punt streak to 15 straight touchdowns, winning 56-10, highlighted by a touchdown pass to James Cook by Isaiah McKenzie, and a fake punt rushing touchdown by the punt god. Week 14, New York Jets. In a reversal of the previous meeting, Buffalo goes nuclear in the first half with five Gabe Davis touchdowns. Bills win 35-14 with the national media thinking Zach Wilson looked good in garbage time, throwing two deep touchdowns. Week 5 in Miami, Josh Allen has an unnatural hatred for marine mammals. 39-9, Bills. This is also known as the Jamison Crowder game with him scoring two touchdowns. Week 16, Chicago. What Chicago did to Justin Fields is criminal. Bills win 35-6. Week 17, Cincinnati. So even with an upgraded O-line, the defense of Cincinnati doesn't repeat from last year, 31-24 Buffalo. Week 18, New England. In the first drive, New England forces a three and out, ending Boston's ongoing nightmare. Ken Dorsey never lets it happen again, 35-0 Bills. You may remember my playoff predictions from last time. Evan says, basically the Bills run rough shot over the AFC and end Tom Brady's career. And in the ultimate owner of the Miami Dolphins, Josh exacts vengeance on the 1972 team completing a 20-0 season. It's important to remember, however, that wins aren't a quarterback stat. So I understand that Evan had a really long email there. I read the whole thing, but I thought it was funny. And so I wanted to just go ahead and share it. Here is my initial look at the schedule. And as a reminder, the team is always going to lose. A couple games, including some you might not think. So I'm looking at matchups. I'm looking at early season versus late season buys. I'm looking at things like that. Week one, Rams, loss. think the Bills can absolutely win this game. But they're defending Super Bowl champions. Really bright lights. They just got done playing in a crazy bright lights game. Yeah, I'll go with the loss in the Rams. Tennessee, win. Miami, win. Baltimore, loss. I've said it before. I said it on Food for Thought. I'll say it here. I think Baltimore can be a really good team this year. Last year, they were really, really, really banged up. Like, really bad. I think there's a very good reason to believe that Baltimore could be very good this year. 
Pittsburgh, win. Nobody thought the Bills were going to lose to them opening week last year. But things happen. But I don't see it happening again. Kansas City, loss. Bye week. Green Bay, win. Jets, win. Minnesota, win. Cleveland, win. Detroit, win. New England, win. The Jets, win. Miami, win. Chicago, win. Cincinnati, loss. New England, win. That makes the Bills 13-4 and and gives them a shot at the number one seed in the AFC. Gives them a shot. I don't think this schedule is that difficult. If the Bills are not in contention for the number one seed, and if they don't take this division, I would view that as being a disappointment at this given time based upon the schedule. Now, I know I had them sweeping the AFC East again, and that's going to be really difficult. So don't be surprised if the Jets or the Pats or the Dolphins steal one from the Bills because sweeping your division is really, really, really hard to do. Asking the Bills to do it year over year over year is really difficult. And they didn't do it last year. The Patriots stole one from them in the regular season. So if this ends up being 13-4 and with a W over the Chiefs and in place of that, one of the losses to the Pats, still a good team. I'll take it. But my first initial run-through, knowing that you're probably not going to go 20-0, and is 13-4. and We'll see how it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did it. We did a 53-man roster projection. We did a schedule prediction. We talked about how these things mattered a lot more and mattered in different lights qualitatively back when the team wasn't good. Now, here we are. And if this content is a little boring to you, then I got to say, hey man, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.